Hey, it's good to see you this morning, and thanks for being here on the start of a brand new series of messages we're very excited about. Uh, a, a brand new series we're calling Simply Found, because it's going to talk all about some things that are found. And of course, to be found, something has to be lost, right? And here's what I know. I know for certain that when something valuable is lost, it becomes our sole focus, Right? When something valuable is lost, we can't focus on anything else until it is found. Back when our children were smaller, uh, Beth would not travel to Israel with me um, oftentimes, maybe once every now and then. So one time when I was over there, I knew she wanted a particular ring, and I knew where to get it. There's a jewelry store in East Jerusalem that I knew I could get this ring just like what she wanted. She wears white gold, so it was a white gold ring, and it was really kind of cool because it was kind of thick, and, well, it looks a lot like this one. And inside, there were carved out in Hebrew letters this word that goes around the ring, and it says, simply, I am my beloved's. That's a good place to say, aww. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I got her the ring. I took it home, and she was thrilled, and she loved that ring, and she wore it all the time. And, and, and I thought, wow, I finally did something good over there, you know, right? And so she came on. That was great. So then I decided, why not do something even better? And so we talked about it. We had a big anniversary coming up. And I, frankly, I don't recall which anniversary it was, but it was one of those kind of, you know, major years. And so we decided... What we would do is I would get a ring to match her ring so that we could wear them together. And then, you know, I'm my beloved. A good place to say, ah. Uh. And so I thought, this is a great idea. So I, I, I'm going to Israel. I'm, I'm headed back. I know where I'm going to East Jerusalem. I know where to find it. And so I'm ready to go. <clears throat> and so I get this great idea, or at least it seemed like an idea at the first, at the beginning. I said, let me take your ring so that I can match it. And so, I, yeah, you're, all way, you're way ahead of me. You're a smart bunch. So I take the ring, and I travel with it. I get to Jerusalem, put the ring safely in the safe at the hotel until I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. I can't find the ring anywhere. I go to the jewelry store in East Jerusalem. Uh, it, they don't have that anymore. I'm looking all over the streets. Any place I can find one, I just can't find one anywhere. But I'm looking, I'm looking. Finally, I found one. And let's just say it was way expensive. So I called her up and I said, here's, um, here's what that ring costs. I don't think we better get it. And she said, yeah, I think you're right. Let's just, let's just forego that. So I said, okay. So I, I finished the trip. We go home and I get home and I'm ready to give her her ring back. I can't find it anywhere. I mean, nowhere. I looked in every zipper of the suitcase. I looked in every pocket. I looked in every, in, again, in my briefcase. I looked in there. I went all the way through it. I looked in my carry-on. I looked everywhere. I, I looked in socks. You know, I looked every place I could feverishly. Here's the point. I could not focus on anything else. I knew I needed to find that ring. It took up my whole purpose, my whole focus. Well, the story ends with good news. The, now, the bad news is, I never found the ring. He left it in the were you there? You were right. Were you there? Did you see that ring in that safe? Because that's exactly what I did. And that's bad news, right? I mean, I can't. I called the hotel, though. I said, hey, can you find? Of course, some maid at that hotel is now enjoying a nice ring. 
The good news of the story is I'm still here and alive to tell you about it. She did forgive me. I thought I was probably going to die. <clears throat> and by the way, since then, we went back and we did get some rings. And so, whew, I'm good. But here's the thing. I'll never forget that. Because something valuable to me, is, it wasn't the cost of the ring. That was not that important. It was the value in what it meant to her. And I remembered how I felt lost and how, how that felt to be lost. And, and I thought, why? Wow, it is a bad thing to lose things, isn't it? It's a good thing to find things. How many of you have lost something and then found it, right? Maybe you've lost some keys and you can't find it anywhere. And then, uh, wow, there they are. And, oh, that's great. Or maybe your cell phone. Anybody lost your cell phone? I remember losing one on a hiking trail one time. And I never knew where I left it because it just slipped out of my pocket. And miraculously, on the way back down the mountain, we found the phone. I was like doing a Pokemon dance or whatever that was. I mean, you know, it was just a, a great experience. And I thought, ah, I thought about all of this. Because we're talking about things that are lost and things that are found. And, and I'm thinking, you know what? If there's anything maybe worse than losing something, then maybe it is being lost. And maybe you've been lost somewhere, have you? I mean, you can do, even if you have a pretty good sense of direction, I have a fairly good sense of direction. But even then, even with GPS, you can get lost. Especially in Swanee County because not all the addresses show up. Amen. So you can even get lost here. And it is not a good feeling. But it is a good feeling when you're found and when you know what happened. Have you noticed all of the reports in the papers lately in the news? In fact, Chip sent me a message this morning early and said, CNN leading report today was some, about somebody being found who had been lost. I didn't go back and check all that out. But there, there is something important. There's a lot of that going on because there's a lot of people who are lost and then found, and it's a good thing. If they're found at sea, it's a good thing. If they're found in a rainforest, it's a good thing. If they're found at the bottom of a gorge, it's a good thing. And people are happy and people rejoice. And I'm not sure who's the most happy. If it's the person who's looking for them, if it's the family that lost them, or if it's that person who was lost and said, wow, wasn't sure if I'd ever get out of this mess. It's an important thing. Well, Jesus spoke about lost things and he spoke about the value, the importance of lost things, and how it is that when something valuable is lost, all other focus, all other things lose their focus. And the focus comes on that which is lost. Now, in his case, he wasn't talking necessarily about cell phones, and he wasn't talking necessarily about keys or rings. He was talking about the heart and soul of man. He was talking about us, you and me, and a particular audience that he was speaking to on that day. He was talking about a very important point, and the point simply put is that God cares about things that are lost and has joy when those lost things are found. Isn't that incredible? Think about that. What brings joy to the heart of God and joy to the halls of heaven is something that was lost being found. Are you willing to listen to a story? Because here's the thing. He makes the point and then 
he solidifies the point in our minds by giving us three illustrations, three stories. And these three stories help us to get the point. If you're not careful, you miss the point. In fact, I've heard these three stories. I've heard people talk about these three stories, and, and yet they miss the point. So I want to be careful in the next few weeks to make sure we get the point and understand that these stories illustrate the point. Let me show you what I mean. If you have your Bible or you want to follow along your, your uh, tablet, your phone or whatever, it's Luke's gospel, chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. If you didn't bring anything there, it'll be up on the screen and you can follow along. And, and I'm just going to walk through about seven verses here and kind of unpack them a little bit and let you see these stories that Jesus told and the point that he's trying to make and the point that I want to make over the next three weeks. All right, three weeks to make one point. And here's the point. God is pleased to find lost people. That's helpful to me because I was once lost. And I understand what that means. And so it's important to see that God rejoices over that. Well, don't let me get ahead of myself. Look at chapter 15, beginning with the first verse. And I want to show you the context. Too many times we jump into this, this, this story. And probably, if you've been in church much at all, now I know some of you haven't. Maybe this is your first day in the church or maybe your first day back or you know, maybe you've been gone for a while and you just decided, hey, I think it's a rainy Sunday, I'll come to church. Whatever it is, you might not have heard the story, but some of you who have been in church have heard the story because there's three stories about lost things. And the one we're most familiar with is one that's called the prodigal son. Have you heard that, that story? Well, watch this. The problem with it, sometimes we just jump into the prodigal son story and we miss the point. I want to take you all the way back to the setting, the context, and it'll help us to get the point. Beginning in verse 1, here's what Luke records. He says, all the tax collectors and sinners... We're approaching to listen to him. The him there is Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now let me just stop there before I go on and set this up because this is so important. Jesus is in, on his teaching tour. He's teaching in the area known as the Galilee to the north. He's teaching even in the area of Samaria and down into Judea, across the Jordan River into Perea. He's, he's, he's busy teaching and the crowds are coming. In fact, the crowds are building because here's what one of the gospel writers said. They said they've never heard such teaching. They've never heard anybody teach with this kind of authority, with this kind of sincerity. They've never heard anybody teach with this kind of power and understanding and insight and depth. And so they're coming from all around and all kinds of people are coming. Men, women, children, young people, they're all gathering around them. Even the little children, remember, they came and the disciples were trying to pull them away and Jesus said, no, 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 let the little children come to me. All the time teaching a lesson. Well, on this day, he's gathered together and we're told that four different names or categories of people are there. And I want to make sure you understand those four categories of people because they help make the point for the next three weeks. The first thing I want you to notice is there's a group called tax collectors. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching him to listen. Tax collectors. Now, this may not be a big surprise to you. Tax collectors were not the most popular people on the earth, right? That doesn't surprise us because who even likes to pay taxes today, right? And so you can imagine. But in this day, it's even worse because tax collectors were, were like the traitors of the day, especially to the Jewish people. 
Tax collectors were Jews who were living in their homeland, but they had sold out. They were turncoats. They had, they had made a deal with Rome, and Rome had said to them, here's how much money we need to collect for taxes. Let's just say 10% for illustration reasons. It was likely more than that. But let's just say Rome is saying, I, we're gonna take, we need 10%. This is what you need to do. Actually, this is the amount of money we need you to collect from the people. And then we don't care what you do after that. So how do you think tax collectors made their money? They collected 10% from Rome and slapped on another 10% for themselves. People despised tax collectors. They were the lowest of the lower. Who else, who's lower than a traitor? Who's lower than a thief robbing his own people? So they were despised, despicable people. And then the second category, Luke just calls sinners. Now, I don't know what to do with that. I mean, what do you do with that? Who wants to join that category, right? I mean, who wants to be labeled, oh, he's, I'm in the sinner's group. Well, the truth of the matter is all of us are in that group, whether we like it or not. Now, I know you're going to go out of here saying, I went to church this morning in the rain to have the preacher call me a sinner. Well, I didn't call you that, okay? So, first of all, I'm not calling you that, but Jesus does. The scripture tells us that all of us are sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in this case, I think what Luke is getting to is there's a group of people there who are, for lack of a better term, obvious sinners. They're, the one, they're immoral. They're unethical. They're, they're despisers of anything righteous. They want nothing to do with God. They, they just want nothing to do with anything except themselves and the gratification of their own flesh. And so Luke just simply says, sinners. Now clearly, people understood who they were. And so when Luke raises the question and says, on this day, tax collectors and sinners came to him. Now there's another group. Watch this. The other group, verse 2, are what's called the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, who are the Pharisees? That sounds weird. I've told you this before, and you've known it probably, but let me just remind you in case you haven't heard. Pharisees were the religious elite of the day. They were the doctors of theology. They were the ones who had it together. They knew the Jewish scriptures from start to finish. They could quote most of the scriptures, what we call our Old Testament. They knew it. They knew it forward and backward. And they were so disciplined in their routine. They were so disciplined in their religion that they followed the law to the letter. They were even careful about how they washed their hands. They, the law prescribed a certain way to wash your hands. You didn't dry it. You let it drip off the elbow. It even told them what side of the bed to get up on, right? To get, when you get up, you got to get up on this side of the bed, not that side of the bed. Maybe that's where our phrase, we got up on the wrong side of the bed, came from. I don't know. But the truth is they had this. They were so religious. They kept every detail of the law. They were the righteous people. They were the people who did everything right. Surely if God smiled on anyone in that day, it must have been the Pharisees. That was what their thinking was. And by the way, they were the conservative religious leaders. The Sadducees were the liberals. You've heard of Sadducees? They were the liberals, but they were all religious leaders. And then these scribes, they're people who knew the language. They knew the local language, the Arabic. Aramaic, they knew that. They knew Greek. They knew Hebrew. They, and they, scribe, they wrote everything down so people could understand it. The religious elite, we'll call them. So two groups of people on opposite ends of the spectrum. Those who are very religious and those who are not. And I suspect in the crowd today 
we got people on both those spectrums and somewhere in between, right? we got some here that you would think if anybody's pleasing to God, it's this person. And if anybody is a sinner, please don't name them, it's this person. And the rest of us are somewhere in between. So Jesus is going to address the whole crowd. He's going to lower the boom on them. He's going to speak a truth into their hearts, and he's going to drop the mic and walk away. It's incredible. So we'll see that over the next three weeks. These are the ones that's gathered. Now, is it striking to you, or is it just me, that the tax collectors and sinners were approaching him, the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining? There's a message in that. I am so tempted to go off on that one. It's the religious people who are the most complaining people. I shouldn't, I shouldn't go off on that. But they're complaining. What are they complaining about? Their complaint is this man, talking about Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. Isn't it, is it striking to you or just me that people, watch this, people who were not religious people were the people that liked Jesus the most. The people who were not religious liked Jesus. It's the religious people that didn't like him. <laughs> I think there's a lot of reasons for that, and we'll kind of unpack that as we go. But that's important to notice. They're coming to him, and, they're, and Jesus is welcoming them. Jesus is saying to the sinner, yeah, come on, let's sit down, let's talk, let's, let's sit around the table. Now, of course, the idea in that culture, and really not so much different in ours, is that you sit around a table for fellowship, right? I mean, don't you do that? If you have friends, what do you do? You say, why don't you come over, have lunch together, we'll have breakfast or dinner or whatever it might be. And what's the intent? You just sit. In fact, at my house, it was a, a standing rule that when we sit down at the table, the TVs go off. Nowadays, the cell phone gets turned off. None of that happens while we're eating dinner. Why? Because we just want a time where we can fellowship. That's the idea. And these sinners were coming to Jesus and he was okay with it. I want you to see that. Because I'm afraid that sometimes we who were lean more to the religious side sometimes want to look at the tax collectors and the sinners and say, we should probably have nothing to do with them and they have nothing to do with us. But I want you to show you. It's not Jesus' attitude at all. Why? Because, as he's going to show us, he loves lost things. And when lost things are found, there is rejoicing. Now, let's go on into the story. The next verse is telling. The next verse says, So, understanding that, because they're complaining, because he has this group of people there, he told them a parable. Now, remember what a parable is. A parable is a simple use of speech. It's a tool for speech. Ta parable is when you take something familiar and cast it along something unfamiliar to help to understand. You see what I'm saying? In other words, if you're going to make a truth, if you're going to make a statement, a parable helps to visualize that to help us to understand it. And so this parable is a picture. It, now don't, I want to say this carefully to all of you Bible students out there. Now some of you, you're like, I don't even know if I read the Bible. Okay, then just let me talk to the ones who do for a minute. Because here's what you got to be careful of. Be careful of anybody that tries to take a parable and give meaning to every minute detail. Every parable breaks down at some point if you try to do that. That's not the intent. The intent of the parable is to cast uh, cast a, a picture alongside of truth so that you understand the main point. 
And I don't know if that's helpful, but some of you probably need to hear that. That's very important. Okay? So what's the main point? He's going to tell a parable. As a matter of fact, he's going to tell three parables. There's a trilogy of parables here, and they all fit together. Right? They all come together, and they all have the same theme, the same purpose. They're just a little bit different. And that little difference seems subtle, but it's actually quite significant. And you'll see that as we unpack each over the next three weeks. The first one we're going to look at is about sheep. The next one is about money. And the last one is that story we're so familiar with called the prodigal. We'll see how they all fit together. But first, the first parable he told is about sheep. Let's look at the next verse and let me read it to you and then we'll talk about it in just a moment. He says, What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. All right, there's our lost thing, all right? So man has a hundred sheep, he loses one. How, who of the, you who have a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? Now, that makes sense. You got a shepherd out in the field. They understood shepherds. They, underst they, they, they were a, a nomadic society. They get it. They got it. They saw shepherds every day. And they understood the importance of the shepherd watching the sheep. Why? Because I, I don't want to insult any of us, but the truth is sheep are dumb. They're not real smart. Sheep are helpless. I say don't insult us because uh, a couple of weeks ago we saw that Jesus said, you're the sheep, right? But we are a little helpless, and we are dumb. We do some stupid things sometimes. And sometimes the bad choices we make or the stupid things we do cause us to wander from the safety of the sheepfold. So on one day, this man who had 100 sheep under his care realized, wait a minute, I only have 99. I'm missing one. What happened to that one? Wait a minute, Joe's missing. Susie's missing. Bill's missing. Carrie's missing. Missing. I don't know what the name of the sheep was, but I know this. The shepherd cared enough about that sheep that he looked and he said, wait a minute, we've got one missing. Isn't that good news to know that the shepherd knew the sheep? You remember, I hope you were here. If you weren't, go back and check the podcast from, from, from a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the shepherd and the sheep, and we talked about how the shepherd, Jesus said, I'm the shepherd and you're the sheep, and the shepherd knows the sheep and cares for them, and he speaks to them, and they follow his voice. That was last week. And so now he's building on that again, and he's talking about it again. He's saying, understand, this shepherd realizes he's missing a sheep. So what does he do? He does what any shepherd would do. That's what he says. He says, which one of you? What, a, what man among you? In other words, all of you know what you would do if you have 100 sheep and one of them goes missing. And that is, you leave the 99 to go find the one. And so the shepherd would go and would look. That just makes sense. I don't know how long the shepherd looked. He must have searched up and down the mountains, up and down the valleys, up and down the hillsides, into the wilderness, trying to find one sheep. How did that sheep get separated? I don't know. We're not told. Maybe it was just that he was sleeping when he shouldn't have been, you know? Maybe he was distracted by something. I don't know. Maybe it was the fact that he just um, wandered off from everyone. I don't know what it was, but all we're told is that the sheep is lost. Now, I know this. I know when you lose something valuable, 
That's all you can focus on until it's found. So that shepherd says, I know I got 99 here, but I'm going to leave the 99. I'm going to, my focus, I got to find this ring. I mean, sheep. I got to find it. And so he's looking for the sheep everywhere. And I don't know what happened, but I know he was looking. Now, here's the thing. A few weeks ago, I took my grandkids to Wild Adventures. And um, we're at Wild Adventures, and I see this place. I'm walking by, and I see this sign on this little corner place, and it says, uh, lost parents here, right? Have y'all seen that sign? I thought to myself, there's been some anxious moments right there at that spot because obviously some kids have been lost, some kids have been separated from parents, and there's been some anxious moments there as some parent has gone up there hoping that a child, their child, can you, I never, I've never had that happen to me, but I'm sure it's, it's a scary thing to have that little baby kind of wander off and you're looking for him and where is he, where is she? And, and, and you go to the section and, and there is the child and you run and you take that child and you hold him in your arms. You say, I'm so glad to see you. Now, what were you doing? What were you thinking? Didn't you? You need to pay attention. Hold on to my hand. Hold on to my shirt tail. Hold on. And then you begin to give them, uh, I don't know. Maybe the shepherd did the same thing. I was glad to see the sheep and then started to give the sheep what for. I don't know. But I do know this. Look what Jesus says about what happened next. He says, when he found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friend and neighbors together, saying to them, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. The shepherd, when he finds the sheep, is so happy that he puts the sheep on his shoulders and he brings the sheep home and he puts him in the sheepfold with the other sheep where he's safe and sound. And then watch this. I love this. Then he calls for a party to celebrate. Don't you love it? Now, I don't want this to sound irreverent, so if it does, it's not my heart. But I wonder about this sometimes. Have you noticed that Jesus is always looking for a reason to celebrate and have a party? He always is. And so he says, let's celebrate. This sheep of mine that was lost is found. I brought him back safely to the fold. Let's celebrate. Why? Because I found the ring. Why? Because I found the keys. I found something way more important. A sheep that had strayed, and I brought it to the sheepfold. Now, what's the point? The point happens in the next verse where Jesus makes the point extremely clear. He says in verse 7, I tell you, I've, this is an illustration. The, watch this. In the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people. Who don't need repentance? I think he is talking directly to the Pharisees and to the scribes at this moment. And he is talking directly to the, to the tax collectors and the sinners. And he say, what you need to understand is there is joy in heaven. God is pleased when one sinner repents and trusts Jesus. Because at that moment, Jesus can go to that one sheep, that one person, and pick them up and carry them into the safety of the sheepfold where he can tend for them and care for them. I love that picture. That's the point he's trying to make. Don't miss it over the next three weeks. The point is that God rejoices when that which is lost is found. And add it to the safety of the sheepfold. 
Now, here's how I know that this story is so incredible. Because I was also lost. And Jesus found me. Now, let me tell you, I think these guys knew exactly what he was talking about. They understood the prophet Ezekiel. They knew, remember I told you they knew all the Old Testament writings? They knew the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel had written some incredible words, a prophecy from the Lord, a prophecy about the Messiah who was to come. Listen to what Ezekiel's prophecy says. I don't just read it to you. It's not on the screen. I want you to read it because this is so incredible. And I don't know if it does anything for you or not, but when I'm reading it this week, I'm like, oh, I've got to just read this to these guys. Listen to what he says. He says, for this is what the Lord God says. So this is God speaking. See, I myself will search for my flock. Ah, same thing he's saying there. I myself will search for my flock. I will look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among the scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. I will seek the lost and bring back the strays, bandage the injured, strengthen the weak. He goes on to say, I will save my flock. They will no longer be prey. And I will judge between one sheep and another. I will establish them over one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself. That way, that's speaking of Jesus, the Messiah. I, he will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken this. What's he saying? He's saying that God who thunders from the heavens will be our shepherd. He'll find us. He'll search for us. He'll pick us up. He'll put us on his shoulders. He'll carry us safely to the sheep, sheepfold where he will tend. Watch over us. He'll bandage up any wounds. He'll strengthen up any weaknesses. And he'll walk with us. When I read that passage... It brings me close to tears. You know why? Because I'm 63 years old in October. I'll be 63 in October. But when I was nine, do the math, however many years ago that was. When I was nine, Jesus the shepherd came looking for me. And he found me. And I was lost. How can you be lost, Pastor? You're only nine. I, I, I was lost because I'd been separated from God by sin. And Jesus came to me and put me on his shoulders and said, If you'll trust me and repent of your sins, place your faith in me, I'll pick you up. And you're my sheep. And I'll carry you safely to the fold. And no wolf is going to be able to come against you and stand. Wow. So for 50, how many years, he's kept me. And you know what? There's been times when I've been stubborn, sheep, and wanted to get away. In fact, over that period of time, there's been times when I said, I think I want to go on my own, shepherd. There's been some times during that period of time when I felt like 
you know what? I think that there's something out there that I want to experience that this old sheepfolds keep. And I'd try to wander out there, but every time he'd come back and find me. And he'd bring me back. And every time I'd do something stupid, every time I'd get distracted, every time I'd get to thinking there's something out there, there's greener grass on the other side of the fence, if you will. He's always come to get me and bring me back. Oh, what a shepherd. That's the picture that Jesus is saying. And then he says, and understand that there is joy in heaven when one person who is lost repents and comes to faith in Christ and comes into the steep. You know why? Because God really does love you. It's not just a little saying that we have that we put on stickers. It's not just something that we put on social media. Hey, God loves you. He really does. I know you don't always feel like it. I know it doesn't always seem like it. But he really does. And so like a shepherd, he'll come to you and look for you. Because you see, in this room this morning, there's some probably there's probably some sheep who are quite possibly lost. Maybe wandering, drifting. Maybe you have gone out of that sheepfold. So can I, let me reel in just a moment and, and say this. I think it's important for us to realize if lost things are important, lost people are important to God. Doesn't it make sense that they need also to be important to us if we're his children and his followers? Doesn't it make sense that if he, the shepherd, would leave the comfort of those who are found to find the one who is lost, doesn't it tell us that ought to be a priority for us? A priority needs to be to develop that kind of heart. We don't always have that heart. It doesn't always come naturally. So how do I build that heart? I, I know I only got, I got three minutes. I think I can do this in three minutes. Three minutes, let me show you why, how I think we build that kind of thing in our heart. Four little quick points, four quick bullets. I promise I'll cover them quickly. But I want you to see this. First of all, we need awareness. There has to be an awareness. You see, the shepherd noticed that there was a lost sheep out there. Can I just say, you and I have to notice that there are lost people all around us. All around us. There are lost people everywhere. And it doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean they're different than us. Listen, I'm convinced of all four of those groups, there were some lost people in that whole group. No, it doesn't mean that we look down on anyone. No, no, because watch this. Once we were lost, right? What was it you said, Toby? I like that little saying you came up with. What was that? Say it again. Oh, you got it and then you lost it. But anyway, it was a really cool saying. I thought that's pretty good. But once was the one. Yeah, once I was lost. I understand. That's why I understand what it is to be found. There needs to be an awareness. Secondly, there needs to be a focus. We've got to focus on what's lost because it's valuable. We've got to focus on some people who are lost. Can I just tell you, I want you to be as practical as I know how to be. People say to me, why are we doing that big screen stuff? What about that big screen stuff? That's just a bunch of fun stuff. Why do we do that? Why do we want to make up this place look like bedrock? And why do we want to have this movie stuff? And why do we want to just have fun in church? Blah, blah, blah. Here's why. Because I want you to be able to invite friends and me to invite friends who are lost. <laughs> into a place where they can come and they can say, wow, I think I'll sit in here and listen. I think I'll sit in here and listen. The whole month of July is all about 
us focusing on that which is lost, not in a condemning, condescending way, but in a loving way of saying, let me tell you what we found, that we've been found. Third, there needs to be concern. We're only going to look for what's lost when we're concerned. I was concerned when I lost the ring, right? I was concerned because I had to tell Beth. <laughs> I was concerned because I thought I was going to die. I was concerned because I knew I was going to break her heart. You have to be concerned. If there's no concern in your heart for people around you who are lost, I think that's something we need to pray about and say, God, lay a burden for somebody on my heart. God, don't let me, don't let me escape this burden. Don't let me escape it. So, Pastor Eddie, why are you going to the Bahamas for two weeks? Because you know what? I know that a bunch of lost children are going to be coming to my side and looking up at me and saying, what you got for me? And I'm going to be able to say, I got some school supplies for you. But more importantly, I've got an offer of eternal life. That's what drives us. And then finally, passion. Got to do it passionately. So in the next coming weeks, as we look toward big screen, I encourage you to pray about who's that one person that you can bring to you? Who's that one person that you can focus on? Who's that one person that you can passionately pursue? So that perhaps, perhaps, they'll repent of their sins and place faith in Christ and get placed in his sheepfold. What a thought. And by the way, that's what this is all about. Some of you came in this morning and you saw this stuff and you thought, well, that's different. Or maybe you came in and you knew exactly what it was here for. And somebody thought, well, I just thought it was decoration. But you know, here's something very important. Every, every two months, we do something we call the Lord's Supper, observing the Lord's Supper. And what it is, basically, is it is a remembrance. It's a time when we remember the fact that Jesus came and died for us. I wanted to say this a moment ago. I know, I remember when I was nine and Jesus found me. And can I just tell y'all something? I don't ever, ever, ever want to forget that. I don't ever want to forget that. And can I just say something else? And I hope y'all just understand. I don't want to be a religious maniac and I, I, I don't want to be a fanatic. I, yeah, I do. I don't ever want to get over that. I don't ever want it to be so commonplace I just get okay with it. No. I want forever to remember like a little lamb. I was lost, separated from God, about to die in a barren wilderness when the shepherd of my soul came to me as a little boy and said, I want to rescue you. I want to rescue you. I don't want to ever get over that. One of my favorite songs that we sing is called Love Come Down. Let me read you the words because when we sing songs, sometimes we don't listen to songs. Here's what the song says. This is just my heart this morning. Let me share it and then we'll go into this other time. It says, Grace so sweet it floods my soul and hope eternal won't let go. My debt erased at Calvary when Jesus, Jesus rescued me. I will sing forever of your love come down. With my hands to heaven, shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. Well, there's a home beyond the sky. A song we'll sing for all of time. The grave is empty and I'm free. Jesus, Jesus rescued me. 
I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven. Shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love for me. That's just where my heart is this morning. I don't want to ever get over it. And one of the best ways for me to remember it is what we're about to do. I'm so glad you're here this morning. I'm glad you battled the rain. I'm glad you were tempted to just stay home, enjoy. I know, I know how it was. It was rumbling at my house when I left this morning. Well, I'm so glad we came because we're going to be reminded. There's some crackers there and there's juice there. The crackers are there to remind us of his body that was broken, bruised, became a sacrifice for our sin. The juice is there to remind us of his blood that was shed for us as a price for our redemption. And we're going to take both. So here's the way we do it here. The way we do it here is this. In just a moment, our band is going to come up and sing. They're going to do a song that's going to just kind of bless our hearts with that. Then we're going to ask this side to come toward the wall and come down and take their, and this wall, this group to come to that wall and come down. And those of you in the middle, just try to separate. All right? I don't care how you do it. Just find a spot and go. And we're going to collect our, now when you get your bread and you get your cup, I want you to take it back to your, back to your chair. And we're going to observe it together. We're going to eat it together. Y'all good with that? So stand with me. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to observe. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you, O oh Lord, for rescuing us. I was lost in darkness, but you took me in. Jesus, Jesus rescued me. Lord, as we celebrate that this morning, we give you our lives. We remember as we take this bread and this cup, your body and your blood, sacrifice for our sins and the tool by which we could be found and brought back to the sheepfold. Just for a moment before we take it, heads bowed, eyes closed. There's somebody in this room, no doubt, and say, Pastor Eddie, the truth is I know I'm lost. I know I've wandered away. I know that I have no relationship with Christ. But I would like to. I, I want to know like, like you know. I want to know that I'm found. I, I want to know that I'm in his sheepfold. How? The Bible says if you'll repent of your sins, that is to turn away from your sin, to place your faith in Christ and His finished work on the cross, to believe with all your heart that when Jesus died, He died for you. If you'll confess Him as your Lord and Savior and commit your life to live for Him, He'll pick you up and He'll bring you into His family forever and ever. And you can do it right now. By simply praying and inviting Him into your life. Lord, hear our prayer. Hear the prayer of those who pray right now. Lord, forgive us of our sins. We renounce that life of sin and we repent and turn to you, O oh God.
You are our living hope. You are our rescuer. You are our chain breaker. Take my life and use it for your glory. Thank you, Lord. And bless this moment as we do all of this in remembrance of you.